You're listening to Bodyful, a podcast that explores the wonder and complexities of living in this human form and how we can engage in an ongoing practice of bodyfulness to become more fully at home in ourselves and in the interconnected web of Gaia, the living earth. I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and I'm the founder of the Gaia Center for Embodied Healing, where we support folks in their growth and healing work with somatic psychotherapy and embodiment practices. We hear all the time about the importance of being mindful, and it's time to invite our bodies to the party. Welcome to Bodyful. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to Bodyful for episode number two. I am smiling ear to ear right now and just riding the high after having a wonderful conversation with today's guest, Deirdre Fay. You are in for a treat with this episode. And just a heads up, a few minutes into the conversation, she guides us through a wonderful practice that she calls the six sides of the breath. I know that I will be returning back to this episode. This hopefully will be one that you save and return to again and again. Also, it is this same meditation is offered as a bonus when you get her new book, Becoming Safely Embodied. So you can head to dfay.com slash book, and that'll tell you all about how to get the book, how to get the bonuses, including the meditation. So then you'll have two options for coming back to this wonderful practice, either within this episode or when you get your book bonuses. And I am not exaggerating when I say that this is going to be in my top five books for client recommendations moving forward. Uh, It just came out in March and it is so, so good. So let me tell you a little bit about Deirdre and we will jump in. Deirdre Fay works with people who have crummy histories to develop an inner platform for success to get their needs met in life. With decades of experience as a psychotherapist and educator, Deirdre brings together modern neurobiology and ancient wisdom into a practice of what she calls becoming safely embodied. So she's developed a course that she's offered over the years of these becoming safely embodied skills, and these are now the basis of this new book. She's author, uh, also the author of Attachment-Based Yoga and Meditation for Trauma Recovery and co-author of Attachment Disturbances for Adults, and it also co-authored some chapters in the Neurobiological Treatments for Traumatic Dissociation. She has done so many other things throughout her career that are so impressive, but I will let you read them in the bio at the show notes. Um, And currently, recently leapt across the pond and is residing with her husband in the south of France. Oh my goodness. Um, I know you're going to love this conversation, whether you are coming at this from the angle of a professional who works with trauma survivors, or if you are holding trauma and really just as a human, what we hold and moving through this life skillfully, you are going to get so much out of this conversation. Let's get into the interview with Deirdre Fay. Deirdre, I am so excited to talk with you today. I was feeling fine. And as we were counting down, I was like, oh, here come the butterflies. Here they come. (laughs) Thank you for being here. Total pleasure. (laughs) Especially because knowing about the work that you're doing, it's just incredible. And I'm so grateful to have kinship in the world. Absolutely. So before we jump in and... Uh, get to a lot of words, let's settle into our bodies. So just invite you to, to drop in your awareness, whatever that means to you in this moment. Those of you listening can join us as long as that's safe for you where you are. And just becoming aware of the natural rhythm of the breath. Noticing if there's any sensation that's really calling to you right now, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. 
letting it all know that it is welcome here. And let's just take one more full breath into the belly. Let it go. Let the shoulders drop away from the ears. And if the eyes are closed, just gently blinking open. Hello. <laughs> Can you share anything with us just about what you noticed? What's present for you right now? You know, I was aware of this, um, how much my work inside myself right now is so much about grounding inside, not in my personality, but in the place where I access more wisdom, mm. not just my wisdom, but where I'm connected. I don't know. I even know some of the language to say this. And so I know when I'm most at peace and most um, aligned inside is when I I'm a little bit further back inside myself mm. and um, less on the periphery. And so what I, my, I guess my own practice right now is very much about finding what I think of as my vertical access, you know, the, the line where I'm open to the divine, but grounded in the great mother and then holding all the many different parts of myself mm. inside there and accessing my heart and not just my physical heart or my emotional heart, but the space behind my heart. So some of my Sufi teachers would talk about the space between the spine and the heart. Mm. And so I find when I'm there, not to give you a long story about this, but that for me, that's where I was like, okay, let me be there and let whatever happens flow. Mm. So I'm, I'm less trying to make something happen. So that's where I was. Thank you for sharing that. Even just in listening to you, like I'm just kind of in awe of the the mirror neurons that I, I was just right there with you. So that was a gift mm -hmm. for me too. Um, and just hearing that reminded me of, I think it was in the Life Force Yoga training that I did where um, Rose Crest was kind of guiding us to breathe into the back of the heart. And it was the first time I'd ever heard that in, you know, many years of doing yoga and even uh, doing trainings and, and hearing you talk about that kind of connection to the, the mystic, the Sufi tradition, and just the, there's so much spaciousness there and so much of our sort of, um, reactive, hyper-vigilant state where, you know, breathing and just into the top of the chest and what happens when we expand that out mm -hmm. and really sense into these other areas that we often are not aware of or even neglect. And that leads me into wanting to ask you about a practice that I know you do a lot. And I'm wondering if you can share it with us a little bit, the six sides of the breath. Sure. Sure. Um, do you want me to actually go through it? That would be here? great. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Cool. So it's again, on that same idea of looking for the six sides uh, for the vertical access. Um, and there, I think there's always two journeys we take to connect with ourselves. And the first journey is going from outside to inside. And since you've practiced yoga. And I love that you did life force yoga because Amy Weintraub is a long, long time friend of mine is to that first journey we call in yoga pratyahara, withdrawing the senses from outside to inside. But that's so hard for, for us. It's hard, you know, it's a practice. How do I unhook from out there to in here? So that's the first way. And then the second journey is from our head to our heart. And so one of the ways I worked with people is, so let's make that journey together, go from outside to inside, and then bring our attention down to our heart. And sometimes it's really helpful, like I just did to put my hand here on my heart, just feel the physical warmth of my hand as another form of grounding and connection to this being, me, that's here right now.
And as I do that, and perhaps this is true for you as well, I can just take a moment and breathe right there. And I know as I'm doing that, I become aware of the, the breath from my heart to the front of my body. And so breathing out into the front of my body. And sometimes what I have people do is even as you're breathing from your heart out through the front of your body, extending your hands out and opening to the space in front of your body. So it's not just from inside to your skin, but from your skin outside. And see if you could breathe into the space beyond your body, in the front of your body. sensing into that space, your hands literally holding that space as a possibility. And then reconnecting with your heart, sensing into the back of your body, in the back of your heart, through the spine, in the back of your body and just feeling that space from your heart out through the back. And seeing if it's possible to sense into the space in the back of your body beyond the skin boundary. And landing in the heart again, your attention there. What's it like to breathe in both directions, into the front of your body and out through the back of your body at the very same time. Almost like an accordion moving from the heart out the front and the back at the very same time, simultaneously. And then landing once again in your heart, shifting gears and breathing up from your heart up through the top of your head. And if it helps to just feel a hand on the top of your crown, you know, that helps, that's fine. Anything to help us ground. So feeling that space between the heart and the top of your head. And then for some people, it's helpful to lift your arms up and open above the crown accessing divine wisdom, opening and breathing up through the crown into the larger space, drawing that energy down through the crown, down into the heart. And breathing in and out from your heart, up through the head, through the crown, accessing divine wisdom, divine connection, and then drawing that in. Centering in the heart, then breathing down from the heart down into the bottom of the spine 
your attention and breath filling that energetic space and the heart down through the bottom of the spine, the sits bones. And this time on the next inhalation, breathing down even through the bottom of the coccyx and opening up into the, the arms of the great mother into the earth. Breathing in and out from your heart down deep into the earth. And on your next breath, ground it again in the heart. And this time opening up to the top and the bottom at the very same time. your heart, the center of your access, center of your universe, while drawing in the wisdom of all at the same time. And as you ground in your heart, once again, just notice what's happening. No right, no wrong. Just tuning more into your own experience. And this time, on the inhalation, breathing from your heart out through the right side of your body. Perhaps feeling an arm, your right arm resting on the right side of your body and breathing in and out, filling up that right side of your body. And sensing into the space beyond your skin on the right side of your body, the space around your body on the right side. Grounding in your heart and breathing out into all that space, aware. And circling around the heart again, and this time becoming aware on the left side of your body, feeling the space between your heart and the left side of your body. Your left arm holding the inside of your right, your left side of your body. And your breath filling up that space. And then sensing into the entire left side of your body beyond your skin. And this time, as you land in your heart, opening up and expanding top to bottom, front to back, and side to side, all sides at the very same time. Your heart practicing, opening, expanding, and being more. 
opening up and reaching toward all sides of the universe and drawing in connection, warmth, compassion, kindness, goodness, and drawing back in, grounding in the heart. Practicing knowing from inside and outside that you're surrounded by love, by goodness, by compassion. Drinking in your fill. Grateful for your own practice. And as it feels right, then shifting gears and moving from inside to outside and reconnecting with us. Mm, thank you so much for guiding us through that. And, you know, you've been doing this for a long time because when I threw that request out, you didn't even blink an eye. You're like, okay, here we go. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I noticed I had a thought during there that I had some windows open and um, I hope the outside noise one isn't distracting. But then I thought, well, that's us, how life is coming yeah. in at the moment. Right, exactly. I, and I think, you know, that's triggers are not always things to be avoided or <laughs> the imperfections of life are not always things to be avoided, but to be just, okay, and now this. <laughs> Right. And now this. Yeah. Right. I actually have came to a place. Um, I mean, this is one of the benefits of growing old, I think, is that for me, triggers are transformational. They are deliberately designed to point us where we're going. Mm -hmm. And we just, you know, and I do too. No, no doubt. But I get stuck in my stuff and I roll around it and I just get myself dirty and full and of it. And yet, if I can let go of that, mm -hmm. And pause for a moment, I begin to see, oh, there's something else. There's mm -hmm. something else. If I don't orient to what's wrong, what else might be coming up? And that's, I got all that from the intersection of the wisdom traditions and from uh, the, the attachment practices and theory and research, which is so robust when you combine them all together. Right. And, and if anybody hears that and is like, oh my gosh, like I am so far away from that, from being able to just view the triggers as transformational. You know, that's a part of what you're saying is that you've you've done a lot of work over the years on this. Yeah, but you too. know, this is really, mm -hmm. really basic, Valerie. I, like, I'm so glad you point that out and so glad you call me into um, more groundedness because like, let's say like any kid that we see that's having a temper tantrum, right? Well, that we're just protesting. We're upset that life is the way it is. When we don't like it, we all say, I mean, I say it in my advanced age. It's like, oh God, I wish it wasn't like this. I want it to be different. And that's all that a, a trigger is. Mm. Now, just, it just gets more expansive, you know, but it's grounded in our history and it explodes in our present moment. But all it's trying to do is saying, it shouldn't be like this. And when I st really sat and pondered this, I thought, how does my body, my heart, know it should be different? Like what in me says, this isn't right, it should be this way. There's some native wisdom. We know that from the spiritual traditions, but we see it from developmental psychology, attachment theory, and that's where I was like, oh my God, right? There is a way through, it's not, it's not some abstract thing. We don't have to live and die in our pain. Right. You you talk a lot about this in the book, uh, in the new book, Becoming Safely Embodied, of that attachment research and kind of the protest as part of those stages, uh, protest, despair, and detachment, and that if we can look at protests not as a problem, but as a signal, that it's kind of that mm -hmm. secret guidance system, you call it, um, there's, yeah, there's actually, 
important information there. And I think it's this interesting kind of dialectic of on one hand, you know, someone like you has done a lot of work to to really, you know, expand your own window of tolerance and know how to sort of skillfully respond when that protest arises. And yet it's not impossible for someone even early on in their own kind of trauma recovery or in learning about these to immediately put some of these ideas and practices into play right. and to to experience the benefit of that. Right. Right. It's so, so important. It, and I think one of the things that I love about it is that it's then not about me telling you what's right for you. It's me being there like, like totally interested and curious about what your system is saying and where your system wants you to go. Like you may be saying, Deirdre, what you're saying is total horse baloney. Right. And so then it's like, wow, what is it that you know inside yourself that's saying, go here instead? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. It makes the world feel so much safer and so much more ripe with possibility. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm so itching to jump into all these parts of the conversation that I know we'll get to. Um, but I would love to just for you to share a little bit about your background. I know that you, um, lived at Kripalu for a period of time and have worked in the trauma center and, and all of this wonderful um, experience that brings you to the place you are today. So I wonder if you could just give us a little snapshot into your background. Sure. Um, well, let's see. I lived in uh, Kripalu, which is a yoga ashram or was when I lived there um, in the 80s and 90s, late 80s and 90s. And for about six years, six and a half years. And it was there that my own trauma history came up and I didn't know I had a trauma history. And we didn't really, you know, the world really didn't know what to do with trauma. And it was very like bad to have a trauma history and something was wrong with you. And, um, but I can remember just, you know, I, I was before, there was really like a before and after I was practicing yoga and meditation multiple times a day. I was running and cycling. I was training for triathlons. And yet then when my history came up, I felt like I could barely get out of bed. I, I was, oh, it was awful. I had a good therapist that made a huge difference. And I was like, but how, why, why did yoga say that my body is a temple when I was not living in a temple then? I was living in despair. I was living in just hopelessness. And I thought, what do I do? How, what happened? And how do I get back to it? Really is what I wanted to know. And then I started seeing that a lot of the people that we had come through, you know, I was teaching a lot of courses at the time, had similar histories that they had trauma histories too. And I thought, what's going on here? So, you know, course of events, I left the ashram and I went to school. And um, I worked at one of the big teaching hospitals, getting my, you know, my training there. And they asked me at some point, they'd heard that I had done a lot of yoga and meditation. So they asked me to teach at one of the dissociative units at night. So I was like, yeah, because I wanted to know was what I was getting inside and what was helping me applicable to other people. And so I wasn't getting paid. I was, it was total, you know, I was doing it really out of curiosity and a way to give back. And so I would spend my evenings working with these wonderful, wonderful women and just seeing how like the big postures that we would do in yoga, they couldn't do Like, so I thought, how do I break it down? How do I break it down? How do I break it down? And it was only later when I was studying attachment theory that I came across this theory of scaffolding by Carla Lyons Ruth, which is you take a big item and you make it small enough. And that's what kids need. You know, how do you take something big and make it so small that they can take the next step? And so that was part of what I was doing. And then when I uh, got my degree and Bessel heard about the work I was doing, he invited me to come and be at his clinic. And I started running groups there and I called them Becoming Safely Embodied. It was just a idea that came through in it. How do I, again, this is not like in retrospect, I have the theory behind it, but it was like, okay, do it these small groups and 
um, small steps. And then Janina Fisher, my colleague, heard about the work that I was doing and she was sending all her clients there. She and I were good friends. We had offices in the same place. And so her clients were getting better and faster. And she was like, what are you doing there? And so she actually wanted to train in it and learn about it. And so we started co-leading these groups together. And at one point we had like the group would go from 10 weeks to 16 weeks to 24 weeks to a year long. And then they wanted to continue. So we just kept adding years to it. So, um, so that was the genesis of it really is just how do we do that? And I realized inside myself that there was this almost shame that it was like small. It wasn't like this erudite earth shattering anything but that people were getting better faster. And I started seeing that and realizing like, wow, um, like it's the little things that make a difference mm -hmm. for people, you know? And how do we encourage people to have that, just that little next step? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's part of what I love so much about this book is that you're really breaking it down. I you know, think there's like nine of course skills um, and even that, even if you were like just to practice three of them, you would probably really benefit. But it's right. so straightforward. It makes me think of, um, you know, Marsha Linehan's DBT that there's there's nothing really earth shattering about these skills. A lot of them are very basic sort of common sense. And yet the way that she sort of structured it and created it and delivered it has been life changing for people who were not getting better with any other treatment modality. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of, of wisdom in that simplicity of what you were finding worked well for you. And it just so happened to, you know, be also supported by all of this research that's was starting to be done and continuing. Um, and by the well, way, that's what I yeah. love so much about people like you, people like me, like we're in this together that like, we're not like separate. The old model of therapy was I'm the healed one. I'm not even, there's mm, nothing wrong with me, you know, and that you are the one that has the issue. But, but like the work that you're doing is about being in touch with yourself mm. so that then you can have this open heart. You can, there's this space for another person to grow and develop. It's just beautiful. Mm. Yeah. I, I got to spend um, Friday and Saturday on Zoom with Janina, which was such oh, a treat. Yay. So she, I'm taking the level one of sensory motor psychotherapy and, and I knew in kind of reading some of your work that you were friends and I'm just like, oh, I'm learning from these wonderful people. It's so exciting. Janina's oh, <laughs> awesome, right? Yeah, right. She is. So I want to point to this one line early in your book because I think it's sort of the thesis of the book and probably overall your work. Um, you say, I'm interested in how we become solid, steady, and secure inside our own body, mind, and heart. What motivates me is finding simple, practical skills for people to live a full, rich, satisfying life inside their skin, connected to others and the world they live in. So those words just, uh, they resonate at my core. You and, nailed it. <laughs> well, you, you nailed it. And, and I know that that also really aligns with your, uh, what you call the unshakable core and developing that. So I'd love for you to just tell us what is the unshakable core and how do we cultivate that? You know, that's such a great question. I remember years ago being in these psychotherapy conferences and, the, you know, the people were talking about a self-container. And I was like, what are they talking about? I have no idea what that was. And so really, I think that's what I was on a search for is how do I build how do, I, how do I be inside myself? How is my heart going to be so unshakable that whatever happens, because we all know something's going to happen, that I can be with it and I'm not going to get so rattled that I, I can't keep moving. And so that's where I developed this idea of the vertical axis and the horizontal axis. And, and by that, I mean that I saw over and over with all my clients, not even my clients, everybody, that the biggest dilemma we have is that we want the outside to come and fix the inside, right? Isn't that what we all have? Mm -hmm. And and as I thought about it and I kept 
learning about attachment theory, I thought, well, of course, as a child, we should have had those needs met. Every, we absolutely should have. We should have been tended to. We should have been attuned to. We should have been heard and known and seen. We should have been valued and cherished so that then we can be in relationship with the world. But the problem is we grew up and we didn't have that. So I thought, so it's the adult developmental task is really, how do I be with myself and know what I need and want and then be in relationship on the horizontal axis with the world, with other people. So I have this vertical and horizontal at the same time, and it's a whole different dynamic. And it's where I think it's one of the greatest cauldrons that we all sit in. It's like, oh, why won't you change and be different? So I don't have this experience inside. Mm. But our developmental task as as an adult is how do I be inside myself? How do I be solid, steady, and secure in here? Mm -hmm. So that then I can be with you, with life, with whatever happens, with an unshakable heart, with an unshakable core. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things just to kind of um, clarify for folks listening, that doesn't mean that anyone, that Deidre or anyone is saying that oh, well, you know, you just have to be okay in yourself and like, whatever the world does is just fine. Right. Like it's, there are things. I'm so glad you're saying that. (laughs) Yeah. Because, you know, there are injustices. There are things we are objectively victimized in certain situations. And so, you know, working with, um, hopefully the help of a a professional or, or just, you know, having a really strong support system helps you to, heal and resolve some of that stuff so that you can develop that really strong vertical axis and your interactions in the horizontal axis are nourishing instead of reenacting old trauma patterns. Right. And in fact, if we don't do that, that's where triggers get so big. Can I do a little drawing? Yeah. Would that be helpful? And if folks are listening on uh, audio and not watching video, we will describe what the drawing is. (laughs) <laughs> it's uh I just find sometimes having visuals sure. are a little bit easier. Um so let's say um well there's this whole idea of what I call parallel lives, which I started talking mm-hmm. about with people. And um and that's that's the dilemma. So if I'm here and this is this year, and I'm just trundling along in my life but i have a part down here i call them in a time capsule that's feeling upset about something and something happens in life in this present moment this is the past Mm -hmm. i'm as an adult in my adult consciousness i can interact with this Mm -hmm. from a solid place inside what gets us all blown apart myself included is that when this part gets activated, the lower part in the past, when that part gets activated, I'm wanting these needs, my activation to be met in the past. Mm -hmm. But the craziness is I don't live in the past. This part doesn't even live in the past. This part is inside me. Mm -hmm. So the vertical axis in many ways is how do I connect here first? So that then I can connect here. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense, Valerie? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, part of the the language that I use for this is is noticing when the past is collapsing onto the present. So if I'm having, yeah. and you kind of talk about this in the book, if the reaction that I'm having to whatever has happened in the present feels maybe disproportionately big. And that doesn't mean it's wrong. Like whatever's happening in the present mm-hmm. might actually need to be addressed. But my reaction is is maybe oversized and that's a signal this is happening. So the then the yes. awareness of, okay, this is happening. How do I peel this off? I can tend to the part, the younger part that's activated, and then I can address what needs to be addressed in the present from you, my you adult said self. So beautifully. Yes. 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 Exactly. It. And that's the problem we face mm. over and over. And this is the source of the greatest dilemmas. And we see it with couples. We see it with any kind of interaction is 
we're here. The other person is over here too. And yet our stuff in the past is getting activated. Mm -hmm. And instead of doing our own work inside, we're, we're trying to fight it this way mm -hmm. and it just, it, it blows apart. Yeah, absolutely. You also talk about, you know, developing that guidance from our, our inner wise self, whether we envision that as sort of the future version of us or however we can sort of envision that. And that really is part of developing like sort of a healthy inner attachment. And that's part to me, part of that unshakable core that I can go to her. I can find that wise adult in me. And when I notice the 12 year old is the one that's on the phone getting triggered, I don't want a 12 year old on the phone. Like here, you got, I got this, you sit back here and, and I can handle oh, that's this. Beautiful. <laughs> uh, so awesome. Mm. So awesome. People are so lucky to work with you. Oh, thank you. And mindfulness obviously is, is a critical component of this, right? So I always like to, you know, all of these buzzwords that sort of get overused. It's like, what does this even mean? How is it even relevant beyond me just sitting and doing like a headspace meditation? So I love how you get really specific about mindfulness. And, and that's, you know, we have to be able to recognize that, that we're in the parallel life or that the past is collapsing on the present. Right. Yeah. Uh, I also really appreciate how in the book you, you, talk about how that doesn't have to look like a 20 minute silent meditation because oftentimes folks who are in the early phases of trauma recovery, that's going to overwhelm their system. So I would love for you to just talk a little bit about that for any folks who might be interested in mindfulness or meditation and yet feel really afraid of it because of that idea of like, why is this hard for me to just sit in silence? Right. I'm so glad you asked. And, um, you know, meditation was such a part, big part of my healing. But as I said, even when my trauma erupted, I, I remember sitting on a retreat, a silent retreat. Um, and it was a multiple day. I think it was either a two week or I don't know how long a retreat it was. And I was so triggered all the time. And I thought, you know, the idea in those days that's changed then is that if you choose one thing, like you sit in mindfulness and that's the only practice you make during that time. And I just realized uh, it wasn't working. And so it is being facile about being able to name what's going on. And really that's all mindfulness is. Mindfulness is being able to be inside and be like, wow, triggered, 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 totally triggered. But even that word totally starts like mm -hmm. amping up the and so there's this idea in mindfulness about bare noticing. Mm. It's just like, oh, triggered, triggered. Thought would be even more bare. How do I make it so simple that it just is like, there it is, mm. there it is. But the problem is if we are not mindful all the time, we start clearing the decks, you know, things get clear. And then the next layer comes up because that's the whole purpose of mindfulness meditation is to keep clearing and clearing and clearing inside. But if we don't have enough of a core, it, when it clears, we're left with the bottom falling out. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's like a nightmare. So what it wasn't emphasized, certainly at the time I was healing or practicing is that people, the whole idea of concentration practices, which is, I think, probably more important for our trauma healing. What is a concentration practices? I want to go there instead of here. And if I focus so much on this, I'm not going to get tossed and turned by all this, but it takes a disciplined mind. And this is what trauma has not given us. Trauma disrupts us and we're like all the time. And so we need to be able to, like, I need to go here. I need to go here and learn to turn out these voices so that I can direct my energy here just for that moment. I can return to those other voices at a different time, but that I have that clarity right now. I'm just going here so that this can, and what, what happens is with mindfulness or with concentration practices is when I focus there, we get a moment of reprieve. We, the rest falls away. Then we can go back to dealing with ourselves in different ways. Mm -hmm. So having those and then the work of um, Kristen Neff and Chris Germer, of course, around self-compassion, so important, so important because 
the journey is hard. I often think of it as like a, it's an Olympic task that we're all on healing. Uh, it just aren't the medals there. We should be, we should be giving medals because it's, we have to practice all the time. And that's the bad news. But the good news is there's another side. There's a way out. Mm. Yeah. And I think like this idea of practicing all the time, one is someone that I learned from talked about it. Like you just, you kind of have to get to a place, especially folks who who carry a lot of trauma in their history, where you just decide this is going to be a lifestyle, a lifestyle right. of self-regulation. Yeah, yeah. And so it's not like, oh, like I'm going to have to be doing this work for the rest of my life. I'm going to have to go to therapy once a week for the rest of my life <laughs> and do 18 different daily practices just to like feel like I'm in one piece. It's not that, but it is sort of like there might be 15 times a day that I have to come back and I have to come back again and I have to go, Oh, you're being a jerk to yourself. Hold on, back it up. Like, and how do I regulate? So it's just that commitment to over and over and over again in those small ways showing up for yourself. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Right. Right. I think I, I, that's why I found it so important to call it something positive, like, working for a Olympic task, you know, or something <laughs> like it. Like this is just what we do rather than like you call it a lifestyle. That's great. You know, mm -hmm. it is a lifestyle. This is never ending. And we know, we all know that place. We're like, oh my God, do, do I have to do it again? Do, why is it always my responsibility? Yeah. And then it's like, okay, there's the protest. Mm -hmm. What would I rather have? Yeah, I want X to happen all the time easily. So how does it become easier? How do I learn how to be in a flow of life in that way? And it's, you know, it's not fair, right? It's not fair that maybe you have to do this more than this other person that you know had a, who had a very safe, secure, stable upbringing doesn't have to do this as intentionally or as consistently. Now we all, I think even those of us who don't, you know, have certainly big T trauma or even a lot of relational trauma, we still have to be learn to be good in our parents because we still all have those moments where we're like, you know what, I really don't want to like get up and do all these responsibilities today. And I still have to really shore that up. And and be kind and compassionate and disciplined. But, you know, I think of um, what Dave Rico has this wonderful book called The Five Things We Cannot Change. And it, you know, part of that is essentially like life isn't fair. And so what do I do with that? Do I want to just stay mad forever that life isn't fair? Or do I want to say, well, give, this is a given. So do I want to live in the, in the sort of resentful, miserable place? Or do I want to say, well, Okay, well, I guess I'll be responsible for doing these practices so that I can have a, a peaceful and more content life. Mm, beautiful. Love it. Mm. it. Which kind of takes me to another of my favorite lines from your book, because uh, I love things that just help us really crystallize these ideas. You said, over the years, I've had trauma survivors ask me what skills would help them the most. I tell them three things. You need to be able to focus on where you want to go, witness what you're going through without getting overwhelmed, and practice self-compassion. So I know you talked about the self-compassion piece, and I think we've already started touching on those others, but is there anything else you want to say about these, these three important tasks? Well, you know, I'd even make it simpler now is what's the most important practice is whatever you're practicing. <laughs> just make sure you're practicing it, right? Like, I, it's just, it just, it, it's, um, it's a courageous life and it's countercultural. Mm. You know, the idea that it should be easier. I don't know. I don't know where that came from, you know, an Instagram life maybe, but life is hard. Mm -hmm. That's the, principles of all the wisdom tradition. Life is hard. Yeah. How do we want to be with it? This life that we have, you know, and Mary Oliver has incredibly beautiful poems around the same thing. How do we want to be with this one precious life we have? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that it's, it's never done. And this connects to, I listened to one of your uh, YouTube interviews recently with the author of an act 
based uh, book that I'm excited to get soon. I'll link to that in the show notes, but it's a very kind of act approach of like, this is not about, okay, I'm going to learn all the skills and then I'll be done and I'll check off the box of healing. Um, no, it also doesn't mean that, as I kind of said earlier, I think there's a lot of um, commodification of, of wellness and sort of self-help and personal development. And like, no, you don't need to be you know, paying eight gurus all the time for the rest of your life just in order to be healthy. But it is learning that steering in the direction of our values, there is no destination. It's a direction. So if part of my value mm -hmm. is, you know, well-being or balance or compassion, that I'm just always going to have to be noticing like, ooh, am I steering that? Oh, I think I'm over here. Okay. How do I steer back there again? Right. And to do like... It's amazing that you're out there doing what you're doing. Diana Hill is the one that mm -hmm. wrote the Act Daily Journal. You know that what we're, we need everybody. We need a multiple big toolbox because because it, we need information. We need uh, the inspiration to come from all sides so that we can take those steps. Because there will be messages that come in that help us one way more than another. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Sometimes we also need to hear the same thing said eight different ways. And it's that eighth <laughs> time that we're like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> That's great, Valerie. Right. Exactly. One thing I'm curious about as a longtime yoga practitioner um, and teacher is sort of how you are either over time, how you've kind of grappled with this and explored this, or even now as it's becoming a more prevalent conversation of how you sort of reckon with honoring this practice of yoga and the tradition that it comes from, the geographical um, location and, and religious uh, background that it comes from, rather than appropriating it as just this like either physical practice or like uh, tool for my own psychological, emotional well-being, and also the fact that that doesn't mean we have to agree with all parts of that tradition, like kind of patriarchal guru culture. So anything that you want to say about how you grapple with that? And, oh, and that's, so, yeah. that's such a great inquiry to be in. Mm -hmm. I think what I love the most about yoga is <clears throat> that we are all one that there is no separation. There is no guru out there. There is even no guru in here, that there is, um, we are all the same. And that there's a part of yoga, which is probably most satisfying for me, which is Advaita yoga or uh, Vedanta yoga, where it is being in the non-duality of it. And that's, to me, that's the best part, you know. India was the birthplace for it. Um, yes, it's, it was heavily male practice, but there were also uh, women yogis that were powerful and transformative, except that our culture didn't highlight them. So it, it gets back to that. There is, you know, how do we weave with the modifications of the mind? How do we just rise, crest and fall? Everything is there. Do I want to choose to be upset about this or do I want to listen to where that wisdom is guiding me to go next? Mm. And, you know, that's why we're all so different and we're all so unique. So we can bring these beautifully different pieces to the whole fabric and change the world from the inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think from, some of the teachers, especially teachers of color, who I really respect um, and I'm trying to really learn from right now, it's, I think most people are not out there saying like, well, if you're a white person, like you just need to stop teaching yoga, but it's how do we be really intentional about it and how, you know, and I think someone like you who kind of came up in a lineage um, that was never just about the physical practice and that, and that you've really always just with your own goals and intentions for the practice have always prioritized the eight limbs. Um, I think it's, you know, you're, you're approaching it from a way that unfortunately a lot of people who've come up in all these 
you know, 200 hour yoga trainings that are all over the place are not getting that. And so I think mm -hmm. I'm really glad that there's kind of this reckoning right now in the yoga culture. Um, and one of, I think it was Rachel Ricketts in her book, Do Better, where she's kind of really challenges people with an inquiry around like, are all of your yoga teachers white people? If so, why? Or, or do you have any teachers who are of South Asian descent? If not, why? So it's just really kind of being willing to do that inquiry that can sometimes be uncomfortable because then we want to get defensive and be like, but, but, but I'm not racist. So. <laughs> well, we are racist. Yeah, right. We can't help it. Right. We can't help it. It's, um, but that gives us a new starting point. I remember in India, you know, there we'd be really white and um, all these beautiful kids are there. They're like loving us, loving us. And, you know, where are you from? Where are you from? And it's like, but how do we just drop in and be like, wow, what a privilege it is to be here. Or, you know, I was in India a couple of years ago and, you know, the very, very poor people like living on $400 a year. It's like, Oh my God, how can I, how can I do more mm -hmm. for the world? How can I use this privilege that I have to create a better world for the people that are there? And, um, right. anyway, that's, yeah. that's such a powerful conversation yeah. and there's no right answer to it all. Mm -hmm. Right. But if, if we're really approaching yoga and wellness and well-being as, you know, as you said, that if we're all one and my liberation is bound up in yours, then I need to be committed not only to my own healing, but to the healing and liberation of all. And obviously we can't do that if we're caught up in all of our own kind of trauma reactions and triggers. So we do have to start with ourselves, but then hopefully, you know, when we can really cultivate and continue to cultivate that unshakable core, we're that much better equipped to then go forth and decide how we can contribute to that liberation of others. And I think at least this is from my personal practice is that we are, that it, we are being led that way, that we can't not do that, mm -hmm. that that is yoga. That is yoga. We are here. We are open. We are, uh, we are clearing the modifications of our mind, body, and heart so that we then be at one with everybody, everywhere, everything. It's, it's the next natural step. It's part of it. There is no me separate <laughs> from you here. Mm -hmm. I just have to clear what's in the way so that we can be together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I have a question that's maybe a little selfish question um, because it will help me, but I think it will also help any other clinicians listening to this or healers of, of different kinds. Um, for folks who know the importance of really integrating with the body and starting with the body, leading from the body, just having that be sort of the guiding um, North Star in helping clients heal, and yet at times it can be so tempting to get pulled back into the cognitive, pulled into the narrative. And I think there's obviously a time where it's, it, it is important, like the talking and the story is part of, of building that trust and that relationship. So it's not that it's a waste of time, but any, any sort of guidance you have from your own experience of how do you continue coming back to the body and not going into that maybe what would be sort of the easier path of staying in the head? <laughs> wow. I don't know if I have any, any thoughts about that. It's, uh, for, for me, it's just consistently, it's like, how do I just rise, crest and fall, mm -hmm. let each moment move in and through and around me instead of being caught up in it. And, um, you know, one of the other things I have loved about yoga and my Sufi practices and every wisdom tradition I know is the practice of surrender, of letting go and into this moment. Uh, Krishna Vyas talks about it in the flow of life. How do we just be in that? And, and 
I don't know. To me, that's the most important thing is, um, and I, I recently shared at a workshop I was teaching about when my father was dying about four years ago. And uh, it was a graceful time, powerful moment for all of my siblings and I to be there with him as he made this final journey. And yet I saw him struggling so much. And, and at one point I thought he was in physical pain and I asked him, I said, uh, Dad, do you need, what do you need? You know, do you want some more morphine? Do you want, you know, what can I do to help? And he, it, he very, it was hard for him to talk at that point, but he said it wasn't, um, it wasn't physical, mm. that it was all the regrets and all the remorse he had about how he had been or who he had, the friends that were there and all the, um, the leftover conversations, the anger, the hurts. And I thought to myself, this is, I felt for him and I don't want that. That is not the way I want to leave. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's very much about how do I keep myself so clear, keep getting myself clear so that when it's time to go, I just go. Mm -hmm. And that for me, it's about how do I live a life of love? How do I get as close as I can to love as possible and live in that flow and let that guide me through? Um, but we all have to, I think that's the inquiry we all have to have and be, you know, it's easier the older you get because life changes, but at some point we have to decide what, and this is what ACT is about. How do, what, values do I want to live by and how do I accept the life that I have and make a commitment to living the life that I want to live uh, in a way that works for me. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's a felt experience inside. It's really about being connected in the heart mm -hmm. and letting and surrendering, letting the heart say, okay, this is where you go next and learning the signals. You know, it's like, okay, so the door is opening here, but it's closing here. So what happens? If I, but really, I want that door to open. <laughs> well, okay, how do I just let go and you know, and just let myself be guided and let me do the, the, the what I'm meant to do in this lifetime. Mm. And you know, it's another one of the stories of yoga, which is that we are being guided from within, and we are literally told from our soul who we're meant to be in this lifetime, and are we going to choose to do that or not? And mm. Yeah. Well, when I hear that, uh, part of how I connect that too to what I was asking is sort of like the more that we can, you know, address what needs to be addressed in our own lives and our own selves, then we can clear that space to just be fully aware of what is, what's happening, and respond to that. So essentially, really allows us to get out of our own way. Cause I know that even the question that I asked is so like kind of tied up in ego stuff and like, Oh, what if I'm not being a good enough body oriented therapist? And it's like, what if I, you know, I'm able to kind of meet that fear, that insecurity kind of say, okay, I'm going to put that over here. And then I'm able to just really but be it's there. Also with what's the happening. beautiful thing about that is it's the motivation mm -hmm. to want to be more and do more and share more and, and support the healing of others. So is it ego or <laughs> is that really the divine saying, yes, keep going toward, mm -hmm. keep going here, keep finding yourself through this process. Mm -hmm. I mean, Valerie, to me, it's so clear to me about who you are. <laughs> it's so clear about the gift of your being. And we are so lucky that you're here on the planet that that yes yes ego but it's ego's not bad mm -hmm. ego is the will and the motivational influence that allows us to move mm -hmm. uh, toward it's part of the channel of that that intense chronic energy that flows yes through. and thank you for saying that because i think that's a part of what can get distorted in some of these our human interpretations of some of these spiritual traditions is the ego and the body, you know, these are, are just things to be sort of discarded and ascended from. And it's all the messiness of the physical, the energetic, the um, emotions that can feel a little very messy. Sometimes it's all a part of it. Yes. Mm. Yes. 
There is nothing separate mm -hmm. from God. Mm -hmm. There's nothing separate from love. There is nothing separate from the divine. Yeah. Mm. Well, this has been such a gift talking with you. I could just go on for yeah, hours um, and just the kindred connection. You're all the way in France across the ocean. And I feel like we're just sitting right next to each other. So I appreciate um, your yes, what presence. A, what an absolute <laughs> pleasure it is to have this time with you and to know who you are and what you're contributing to the world. I, I feel so honored. <laughs> Well, tell people where they can connect with you, where they can get the book and whatever else that you are offering. I know you offer so much in terms of courses and, and connection. So we would love to hear about it and it will all be linked in the show notes too. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Valerie. Well, the book, if you're in the U.S., is available at dfay.com forward slash book. And that's a discounted copy. It also puts you on our mailing list so that you can uh, then hear about other things. If you want a free PDF, we have dfay.com forward slash safe guide, safe guide. And that is a, a really robust um, PDF about having safety in the healing process. And then we are in the midst of coming up with a new quiz on triggers, like what's your triggered uh profile. And so that will be out soon, but we don't have that quite finished yet. Wonderful. And go get the book. If you're listening to this, just go do it. <laughs> Thank you so yes, much, Deirdre. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you feel moved to share it with someone you think would love it, that would mean so much to me. For show notes, head over to GaiaCenter.co and follow us on Instagram at the Gaia Center and at Val K. Martin, V-A-L-K-A-Y Martin. And if you're into animal stuff and delicious vegan food, be sure to check out my other podcast, Vegan and Vibrant. See you next time.